Welcome to episode 22 of Tell Me a True Crime Story. I'm your host, Holly. This episode is One Murdered, One Missing in Virginia. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you and your family are happy, healthy, and together forever. Do you have a case suggestion? If so, please send me an email and let me know what case you'd like to hear me cover. My email is Holly's. Tell me podcast at gmail.com. That's Holly with a Y, Holly's Tell Me Podcast at gmail.com. Before we get started on today's episode, I have three small favors to ask of you. Number one, please tell your friends and family about this podcast. Number two, please follow or subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen on. And number three, whatever platform you're listening on, please write a review for the podcast and or give it five stars. I know you can write a review on Apple and on Spotify, you can give me five stars in the mobile app. On that note, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Michelle Lee from Virginia and Rosie Mel One on Apple. They left me very kind reviews and five stars on Apple Podcast. That made me so, so happy. I'm thankful that they took the time to do that for me. Now on Apple, I have 12 five-star ratings, but I need more. By you guys leaving reviews or five-star ratings, it helps me out tremendously. It helps me grow my podcast by getting it in front of more people. To leave me a rating and review on Apple, just go to my show page and scroll down, select a star rating, then click on write a review. Thank you so much for your help with that. And thank you again for being here. Big, big hugs to all of you. Now, let me tell you a true crime story. Alexis Tiara Murphy was born in Charlottesville, Virginia on Wednesday, June 5, 1996 to Laura Ann Murphy and Troy William Brown. Alexis had three brothers. Alexis' family and friends describe her as having been a fashionista. She loved hair and makeup. She was also athletic, vibrant, joyful, and stunningly beautiful with an infectious personality and a warm heart. She loved music, dancing, and volleyball. Alexis left her home in Shipman, Virginia on a summer evening in 2013, and she was never seen alive again. She was 17 years old with beautiful brown eyes. At the time of her disappearance, she had long black hair, a piercing in her nose, and another piercing above her lip. She was about 5 foot 7 and about 155 pounds. On Saturday, August 3rd, Alexis left her house where she lived with her mom and grandma after 6 p.m. She said she was going to buy hair extensions. Alexis' mom was about to be on her way out the door, too. She had to go work the overnight shift at the post office. Her mom said Alexis was happy and laughing before she left. At 6.04 p.m., Alexis tweeted, 
Lynchburg-bound, meaning Lynchburg, Virginia, which was about a half hour's drive south on U.S. Route 29 from her home. She was driving her dad's 2003 white Nissan Maxima. Tragically, a chance encounter changed everything, and Alexis never made it to Lynchburg. As I mentioned, Alexis and her mom, Laura, lived with Alexis' grandma, Gail, and Laura worked nights at the post office. So when Alexis was out at night, Gail always left a light on for her because she was afraid to walk into the house from the car in the dark. Therefore, when Gail woke up at 1.20 a.m. on Sunday, August 4th, and the light was still on, she knew something was wrong. She realized Alexis never made it home. It wasn't like Alexis to miss her curfew. She tried to reach Alexis on her cell phone, but it went straight to voicemail. That was very alarming to her grandma because Alexis was always glued to her cell phone. Like most young people, Alexis had her cell phone on her at all times. Her family said it was like her lifeline and recalled that around the house, she often dragged around an extension cord attached to her iPhone as she charged it. They said she'd fall asleep with her phone in her hand. So often when I'm researching these cases, I'm able to relate to them so closely. I have three kids. Both of my daughters are in their 20s and my son is a teenager. And I know exactly what Alexis family is talking about because my kids are like that with their phones too. A few years ago when my daughter, who is 20 now, was in high school, her phone was constantly at 1% battery life because she was on it all the time. She wouldn't put her phone down long enough for it to charge. She'd charge it a little, then get right back on it, or she'd just stay on it while it was charging. I'm sure a lot of you parents out there can relate to this too. It was not like Alexis to be out of touch. So when Alexis' mom got home from work in the morning, she went straight to the sheriff's office to report her daughter missing. The Nelson County Sheriff's Office opened an investigation into Alexis' disappearance and began searching for her. Since Alexis had about 12,000 followers on Twitter, investigators had to consider the possibility that an online predator had something to do with her disappearance. Nelson County Sheriff's Lieutenant Billy Mays was concerned about her strong social media presence and said, quote, it's a breeding ground for predators, end quote. When law enforcement suggested that Alexis may have run away, Alexis' family said that she had no reason to run away. Alexis was happy and excited. She'd recently gotten a raise where she worked at a kid's consignment clothing store called Kid to Kid. Also, summer break was coming to a close, and Alexis was about to start her senior year at Nelson County High School. She played volleyball and was going to be co-captain of the volleyball team. In fact, she was getting the hair extensions in preparation for her senior pictures that were to be taken the very next week. According to Alexis' mom, Alexis was obsessed with her hair. Investigators not only examined the social media and runaway investigative angles, but they also had to consider whether or not Alexis' disappearance could be linked to other crimes, abductions, and murders that have happened along Route 29, the highway that Alexis would have traveled the evening she went missing. There will be more on that in an upcoming episode. 
But when the Route 29 lead went nowhere, authorities just kept searching for Alexis and trying to track down witnesses who may have seen her or her dad's white car she was driving when she went missing. The FBI, including the FBI's Child Abduction Rapid Response Team, Virginia State Police, and the Virginia Department of Emergency Management were called in to assist in the search for Alexis. Alexis' family, friends, followers of her Twitter account, and volunteers all helped, too. A state police helicopter looked from the air for any sign of Alexis or for her father's white car that she'd been driving. Investigators visited the shop where Alexis was supposed to buy her hair extensions. The shopkeeper told them that she'd never made it into his business on that Saturday to purchase hair extensions. Nelson County Sheriff's Lieutenant Billy Mays subpoenaed Alexis' cell phone records. While they waited for the records, Alexis' aunt, Trina Murphy, used the Find My app to try to locate Alexis or her phone. The last location provided by the app was a 4,800-acre property called Oak Ridge Estate in Arrington, Virginia. This is only about a 10-minute drive southwest of Alexis' house in Shipman, Virginia. The vast estate was searched extensively to no avail. There was no sign of Alexis or her cell phone. On Monday, August 5th, two days after Alexis disappeared, Lieutenant Mays received Alexis' cell phone records. Her cell phone records called into question the accuracy of the Find My app that had led them to the 4,800-acre Oak Ridge estate. It was later determined that the app provides a location based on a seven-mile radius of where the phone last pinged to a tower. Alexis' cell phone records determined that authorities did not need to be looking for Alexis or her phone at Oak Ridge Estate. The records indicated that her phone had pinged from a gas station in Lovingston, Virginia at 7 p.m. on Saturday, the evening she went missing. And the very last activity on Alexis' cell phone had taken place at 7.17 p.m. Investigators were aware that local teens regularly hung out at that gas station. This was the Liberty Gas Station just off of U.S. Route 29, about four miles northwest of Alexis' home. What had happened to Alexis between 7 p.m. at Liberty Gas Station and 7.17 p.m. when her phone went offline? Authorities surmised that whatever happened to Alexis must have happened somewhere nearby the gas station since her phone was only active for minutes after she'd left the gas station. So investigators concentrated their search efforts near the Liberty gas station. They looked in trunks of cars and canvassed the surrounding area. They found nothing. Authorities viewed surveillance footage from the gas station on the day Alexis went missing. In the footage, they see Alexis on tape wearing the outfit she'd left home in, the outfit that was later detailed on her missing poster. A pink shirt, floral tights, and brown boots. She was carrying a dark and light-colored gray purse. On tape, they observe Alexis walking into the gas station and buying gas at about 7 p.m. the evening she disappeared. Standing at the checkout counter, 
paying for her gas, Alexis didn't look distressed or upset on the video. It looked like a normal, everyday, typical transaction between a cashier and a patron at a gas station. Three days after Alexis went missing, on Tuesday, August 6th, Alexis' car was located in Albemarle County, about 45 minutes northeast of where she lived and less than a mile from the consignment store that she worked at. Police had received an anonymous call from a tipster who said he was standing in front of the car that Alexis had been driving the night she went missing. Authorities responded to the location and determined that it was indeed Alexis' father's Nissan Maxima. It had been abandoned in a parking lot of what used to be a Carmike 6 movie theater. There was no sign of Alexis in or near the car. Investigators obtained surveillance footage from cameras outside of nearby businesses. A camera outside of an Army recruiting office revealed that the white Nissan Maxima pulled into the parking lot at around 10 p.m. the night after Alexis went missing, Sunday, August 4th. However, the video was of poor quality, black and white and very grainy. Investigators tried to enhance the video, but they still could not see who got out of the car. So investigators returned to the surveillance footage from Liberty Gas Station from the evening Alexis went missing to re-examine it and see if there was anything they'd missed. And there was something they saw that captured their attention. A man with a Daffy Duck tattoo on the side of his neck, wearing a blue t-shirt with a Miller Lite logo on it holds the door for Alexis as she walks into the store. It appeared that maybe they'd exchanged a bit of small talk. Gas station attendants identified the man in the video for investigators. They said that he was a regular customer of the station. He would come there to buy Paul Mall cigarettes and beer. They said he drove a truck with a camo design on it. They also said that he would park his vehicle in the parking lot for hours. The assistant manager at the station, Tammy Hitt, said that he'd, quote-unquote, gawk at teenage girls who went in and out of the store after school. Melissa Jarrell, who worked at Liberty Gas Station, said that he'd sit there for hours watching everybody. She also said she was working on the evening of August 3rd. She said she saw Alexis Murphy as she was leaving and walking across the parking lot turn her head as if someone had spoken to her. Then she observed Alexis walk over to Randy Taylor's Suburban and they talked to one another. That man they were talking about, investigators learned, was 48-year-old Randy Taylor and he drove a Chevy Suburban with camouflage on it. Then investigators see something else, caught on a security camera in the parking lot of the gas station. They see Randy Taylor's camo suburban leave the Liberty parking lot and head north on 29 toward Charlottesville, Virginia. And following behind that camo suburban was Alexis' dad's white Nissan Maxima that Alexis was driving the night she vanished. Now, investigators began to focus their attention on Randy Taylor, the last known person to have had contact with Alexis Murphy. They learned that Randy Taylor lived in a camper just off of Route 29, less than three miles north of the Liberty gas station. 
The property the tiny blue and white camper was on, located at 10506 Thomas Nelson Highway, was owned by Randy Taylor's ex-girlfriend's mother. When Lieutenant Billy Mays went to the property, he said the abandoned house and camper there looked, quote, like something out of a horror movie, end quote. Randy Taylor was questioned by investigators. When asked where he had been on the day Alexis went missing, Saturday, August 3rd, he said he'd spent the day four-wheeling with a friend in Barbersville, Virginia. Then afterward, he just stayed home. He denied knowing Alexis or anything about her disappearance. When he was confronted with the security footage from the Liberty gas station that showed him there at the same time as Alexis, he changed his story. He said he remembered her being there, and he said he also recalled meeting her sometime in the past at a car wash. In that encounter at the car wash, he said he'd been smoking some pot, and Alexis walked by and commented something to the effect that it smelled like some good stuff. Randy Taylor told investigators that Alexis had gone to his camper on August 3rd, the night she went missing, but she'd been there with another man. He said that he was going to buy pot from the man she'd been with. He described the man she'd been with that night as being black in his early 20s with his hair in cornrows and driving a maroon Chevy Caprice. Randy Taylor claimed that Alexis and the young man stayed at his place for over an hour. They talked some... They smoked a little weed together. Then, according to him, he left to get some beer. Investigators doubted that Randy Taylor, a man who had a surveillance camera mounted on top of his tiny camper, would leave two people that he didn't know, a purported pot dealer and Alexis Murphy, alone in his camper while he went out to buy beer. Investigators determined that the man Randy Taylor said came to his camper that night with Alexis was Damian Bradley. However, the young man was thoroughly investigated, and authorities ultimately determined that Randy Taylor used Damian Bradley as a red herring to throw police off of his trail. Investigators were able to verify Damian's whereabouts and corroborate his alibi at the time that Alexis went missing. Damian Bradley was cleared as a suspect. Investigators obtained a search warrant for Randy Taylor's 1956 camper and conducted an initial search of the camper on August 7th. What they found in the dirty, messy camper was chilling. A fingernail embedded in the carpet, a stud earring, and a long black hair with the root attached was found on Randy Taylor's pillow. These items were sent for DNA testing. Behind Randy Taylor's camper was a trail that went up the side of a mountain. That area and the land surrounding his camper was searched thoroughly. However, nothing was found. Four days after the first search, Randy Taylor's camper was searched again. They found a bloody blue t-shirt with a Miller Lite logo on it, balled up and shoved under the sofa. This is the same t-shirt that Randy Taylor was wearing in the Liberty gas station surveillance footage. Inside that balled up t-shirt were black hair extensions and a strip of false eyelashes. This evidence indicated that a violent struggle had taken place there. Eight days after Alexis vanished, 
On August 11th, Randy Taylor was arrested and charged with the abduction of Alexis Murphy. He was indicted by a grand jury on that charge in September of 2013. He was held without bond at the Charlottesville Albemarle Regional Jail. At some point, investigators also learned that Randy Taylor had been at an adult toy store called Ultimate Bliss in Charlottesville around 5 p.m. on Saturday, August 3rd, the same day Alexis vanished. This was just about two hours before he was seen on videotape holding the door open for Alexis at Liberty Gas Station in Lovingston. At Ultimate Bliss, he'd purchased two adult porn DVDs. On August 13th, canines trained to sniff out adhesive used in cell phones were taken to Randy Taylor's camper to try and locate Alexis' missing cell phone. The search was successful. 70 feet from Randy Taylor's camper under some bushes, Alexis' cell phone was recovered. The badly damaged white iPhone 4 was examined by an electronic engineer with the FBI. It was impossible to get any information off of Alexis' phone because of its condition. The battery was missing, the battery cables were pulled out, the processor was cracked, and the back of the phone was smashed off. And remember when the Find My app was initially used to try to locate Alexis' iPhone before police received her cell phone records and the app led investigators to Oak Ridge Estate? They'd found out that the app provided that location based on a seven-mile radius from where the phone last pinged to a tower. Well, Randy Taylor's camper is located exactly 6.8 miles from Oak Ridge Estate. Because Alexis was still missing and taking into account all of the physical evidence that had been found in Randy Taylor's camper, investigators believed that Alexis Murphy was no longer alive. They had to sit down with Alexis' family and tell them that they believed that she was gone, that she'd been murdered. They wanted to proceed with murder charges against Randy Taylor, even though Alexis' body had not been located. The Commonwealth's prosecutor, Anthony Martin, researched no-body prosecutions in Virginia and learned that only two cases ever moved forward with a murder charge without a body in the state of Virginia. But thankfully, he was prepared and willing to take on the challenge to get justice for Alexis Murphy and her family. He stated, quote, We should not reward a person by not charging them with murder just because they are good at hiding the body, end quote. In early 2014, a grand jury decided that there was enough probable cause to indict Randy Taylor and that he should be put on trial for the first-degree murder of Alexis Murphy, the first-degree felony murder of Alexis Murphy during the commission of an abduction, the abduction of Alexis Murphy with the intent to defile, and another unrelated grand larceny charge. Before his trial, Randy Taylor was offered a deal. He would get 20 years in prison in exchange for revealing the whereabouts of Alexis' body. He said if they'd give him 10, then he'd tell them where her body is. Of course, the prosecutor didn't agree to that, and his case proceeded to trial. Randy Taylor's court-appointed attorney, Michael Hallahan, argued for a change of venue because of the huge amount of publicity and widespread media attention that this case received. 
That motion was denied in February of 2014. Randy Taylor's trial commenced on May 1st, 2014. The jury in Randy Taylor's trial was made up of eight women and six men. The judge allowed Randy Taylor to forego his inmate jumpsuit and wear regular clothes during his trial. Most of Alexis' friends and family that were in attendance wore pink, Alexis' favorite color. The Commonwealth's prosecutor, Anthony Martin, told the jury of the damning evidence found in Randy Taylor's camper during the searches. The stud earring, the fingernail, the strand of hair, the false eyelashes, the hair extensions, and Randy Taylor's bloody t-shirt. All of these items were believed to have come from Alexis, save for the bloody Miller Lite t-shirt Randy Taylor had been wearing in the gas station surveillance footage. The items were tested at the Virginia State Police Crime Lab and were determined to contain DNA that matched Alexis Murphy, including the blood on Randy Taylor's t-shirt. During the trial, the Commonwealth's attorney also showed jurors a scrapbook that had been found in the abandoned house located on the property behind where his camper sat. The scrapbook contained photos of young women's faces pasted on top of other women's bodies. A woman whose face was depicted in that scrapbook is the daughter of the owner of the car dealership where Randy Taylor worked. The Commonwealth called a witness to lend credence to the fact that Randy Taylor was the one who left Alexis Murphy's dad's white car in the old movie theater parking lot the night after she disappeared. A bartender that worked at an Applebee's in Albemarle County testified that he served two Heinekens to a quote-unquote sweating man sometime after 10 p.m. on Saturday, August 4th, the night after Alexis went missing. The man asked the bartender for a cab to take him to neighboring Nelson County. This Applebee's was within walking distance of where Alexis' car was left abandoned in the parking lot approximately one mile south on 29 from where her car was found. Defense attorney Michael Hallahan called 11 defense witnesses. He argued that police had planted items of evidence in Randy Taylor's camper. He tried to create doubt in the jurors' minds by reminding them of the young black man with cornrows that Randy Taylor claimed had accompanied Alexis to his camper the night she vanished. He said that he could have harmed her. He also offered up another theory that maybe Alexis had been kidnapped and sold overseas. Michael Hallahan said that there was no evidence of a murder and no evidence of an abduction. He told jurors that there was not enough evidence against Randy Taylor to find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. He said there was not enough proof to convict him. Randy Taylor did not testify in his own defense. The jury deliberated for just over six hours. The Honorable Judge Michael Gamble read the jury's verdicts. They found Randy Taylor guilty of abduction with intent to defile and guilty of first-degree murder in the commission of an abduction in the death of 17-year-old Alexis Murphy. 
Before the jury went back to recommend a sentence, Prosecutor Anthony Martin told them of Randy Taylor's criminal history. He had convictions for arson, fraud, and conspiracy to commit fraud from 2004, burglary and grand larceny from 1993, a felony hit-and-run that had been reduced to a misdemeanor from 2012, and grand larceny that had been reduced to a misdemeanor from 2013. The prosecutor recommended the jury give Randy Taylor two life sentences, one life sentence for each charge. What the prosecutor was not able to tell the jury was that Randy Taylor is a person of interest in the disappearance of another young woman from the area. Randy Taylor is the last known person to have had contact with 19-year-old Samantha Clark, who went missing in 2010, just three years before the murder of Alexis Murphy. I will be covering this in an upcoming episode. While the jury went to decide his sentence, Randy Taylor said he'd take the original plea deal of 20 years and tell where Alexis' body was. Of course, at that time, it was too late. Randy Taylor received two life sentences for murdering Alexis Murphy. He filed an appeal. In 2016, the Virginia Supreme Court rejected his appeal. Randy Allen Taylor is now 58 years old. He is serving two life sentences for the murder of Alexis Murphy. Randy Allen Taylor, inmate number 1032583, is housed at Virginia Department of Corrections, Red Onion State Prison, a supermax prison located in Pound, Virginia. A perplexing question in this case is, why did Alexis follow Randy Taylor to his place? How did Randy Taylor lure her there? There was some talk about Alexis' tweets appearing to make references to smoking marijuana. Her best friend, who testified at Randy Taylor's trial, admitted that Alexis smoked pot sometimes. Did Randy Taylor tell Alexis he'd give her some weed or sell her some, as the prosecutor referred to it in his closing argument, quote-unquote, abduction by deception? Or did Randy Taylor use some other ruse to get Alexis to his place? We'll never know, and ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the outcome of this case. Randy Taylor is a murderous predator. Alexis Murphy is still gone. In 2014, Alexis received her high school diploma posthumously with the Nelson County High School Class of 2014. Some of her fellow 2014 graduates wore pink ribbons because it was Alexis' favorite color. Others decorated their caps in memory of their classmate that couldn't be there. Alexis' family stood in her place at the graduation ceremony and accepted her diploma in her honor. On December 3rd, 2020, seven years after Alexis Tiara Murphy disappeared, her remains were recovered in Lovingston, Virginia. According to sources, Randy Taylor was brought back to Nelson County, Virginia from his prison cell and led authorities to a private property near the intersection of Route 29 and Stage Bridge Road. 
This area is about five miles from the gas station Alexis was last seen alive at and approximately three miles from where Randy Taylor lived. On February 5th, 2021, the remains were positively identified as being those of Alexis by the Central District Office of the Chief Medical Examiner in Richmond, Virginia. However, in order to give Alexis' family time to grieve in private, notification to the public of the discovery of her remains was delayed until February 17, 2021. In January of 2021, within weeks of the discovery of Alexis' remains, the town of Orange, Virginia Police Department Chief James Fenwick and the Orange County, Virginia Commonwealth's attorney, Diana O'Connell, announced at a press conference that the disappearance of Samantha Clark in 2010 had been reclassified as an abduction and homicide investigation. Chief Fenwick said the decision was made due to new information and advances in investigative and forensic technology. He acknowledged that Randy Taylor is known to have been one of the last to have contact with Samantha Clark, but he would not say if Randy Taylor is still under investigation as the prime suspect in her case. He stated, quote, It's no secret that Randy Taylor was one of the last people to have contact with Samantha Clark. Beyond that, we're not going to comment any further, end quote. He said he believes the community could possibly have more information and that it's not too late for anyone that has information to come forward. In June of 2021, on what would have been Alexis' 25th birthday, a memorial service was held in her honor at her high school's football stadium. Alexis was remembered as happy, hilarious, and wise beyond her years. Her family thanked all of the law enforcement officials and agencies that worked Alexis' case. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Tell Me a True Crime Story. Please follow the podcast and tell your friends, co-workers, and family about it. Share a link to the podcast with someone who loves true crime. Follow the podcast on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok are at Tell Me a True Crime Story. And remember, it would really help me out a ton if you would write a short but sweet review for the podcast on Apple Podcast or give it a five star rating on Spotify or anywhere else that you can review or rate podcast. Thank you so very much for being here. I truly, truly appreciate each and every one of you. Join me in episode 23 when I'll tell you another true crime story. Big hugs to all of you. Bye-bye.